All right, great. Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is a really fascinating guest, Maddie Hall, who runs a company called Living Carbon. Maddie, thanks for joining us. Very happy to be here today, Bradley. Um, my, myself and the trees are, are looking forward to being a part of your podcast. Yeah, I mean, what you're, I mean, just let, let's jump right in because what you do is like, like I'm a VC. I see interesting stuff all day for a living, and this is still really interesting. <laughs> so. Glad. Let's start with what Living Carbon does, and then we'll work backwards to to your history and all of that. What are you doing? Um, so Living Carbon is a public benefit corporation, and our mission is to responsibly rebalance the planet's carbon cycle, uh, utilizing the inherent power of plants. So if you think back to when humans first domesticated fire, right, we were really this one organism, this one species that was able to create energy outside of ourselves. Um, and the ability to do that has catalyzed so many advances, right? Agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, um, and allowed our society to, to grow. And a lot of the technology that we've utilized, um, it comes from our environment, right? Like all of the coal that we've used is stored carbon. Um, but the technology that we've developed has really, in many cases, only been used to benefit our own advancement. Um, and so a lot of the premise behind Living Carbon was how can we take the advances in biotechnology and frame them around actually solving the problem of climate change and helping our ecosystems, right? Humans can't continue to see ourselves uh, in isolation from our ecosystem. It just, it no longer works anymore. And, and so how do you do it? And feel free to get a little geeky if you want to. I think our listeners are up to it. Like, <laughs> How does a tree absorb more carbon dioxide? Yeah, so I mean, there are a lot of different different processes that, that you can focus on and different traits. Um, for us, where we've started has been looking at photosynthesis enhancement um, and also slowing the rate of decomposition. So increasing the permanence of the carbon that's captured um, in plants, right? So for photosynthesis, there hasn't really been a ton of pressure for photosynthesis to continue to evolve, right? The parts per million of CO2 is increasing uh, in, in the atmosphere. But what a lot of folks have focused on from a, um, from a crop perspective has been increasing yield, right? So some of the similar technology that's been used to increase yield, um, particularly around improving the photosynthetic efficiency of plants, um, a lot of that translates to trees, right? Um, both in many cases are C3 types of plants. And so for us, what we do is we break down toxic byproducts of photosynthesis uh, using less energy. And by doing that, it's kind of like putting the plant into ketosis. That's how I describe it to a lot of the VCs. Got it. And so like... It's a, it's a metabolic hack. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I, I think I understand that. So what's the scale? Like, So if an average tree absorbs X amount of carbon dioxide, what does a living carbon tree yeah, so that's actually the question that we're going to be answering in more depth when we do our initial release of the progress that we've made. Um, there are many factors that increase the growth rate of trees, right? Genetics is one big component, but there's also where the trees are planted, um, how much sunlight they're getting, the length of the planting season. But we do have, uh, what I will say right now is that we do have some really promising results um, from our greenhouse uh, trials with hybrid and also some of our, our field trials and pilot planting projects um, that we've done in the United States. And 
what kind of tree is equipped to do this? Could you do this with any tree or does it require something very specific? How does it work? Yeah, so they're about 90% of all plant life um, are what's called C3 plants, right? Um, and then there are other types of plants called C4 plants. Um, and they, they're they kind of, well, let's see, I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain this. Some are more efficient at photosynthesis than others, but 90% of all plant life falls within the C3 category. And so really any C3 tree, um, you could implement this sort of change um, and incorporate this, this trait. And for us, you know, we started with what's essentially the model organism for trees, which is a hybrid poplar. Um, but we're working right now on loblolly pine, which is the most commonly planted tree in the United States. Um, and we actually have a, 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 germ, a cell bank that includes about 17,000 different, 17, different varieties of, of tree. So, you know, our hope also is, is not to just be a tree company, right? We are a, a photosynthesis company. We're a carbon capture company. If I could snap my fingers right now, we could work on a microorganism that creates some sort of stable form of carbon um, and engineer that. Unfortunately, given the the market and um, regulatory environments, bringing something like that to market is very challenging. However, people have a strong emotional attachment for trees. There are existing carbon credit methodologies that can be yep. used um, to show a difference. So I think for us, like, that's a little bit more of our longer term vision is how can we use our technology in different species way beyond just trees. We started with the hardest species though, I will say. All right, all right, you, you, you know, it's all easier from here. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. how much can this accomplish? Can, can we suck enough CO2 into the atmosphere that concerns of climate change are no longer serious? I mean, is, it, is there that much scale that you could do here? Um, so based off some of the analysis that we've done, if we replaced all of the managed forests um, globally with photosynthesis enhanced seedlings, you could get about one to two additional gigatons of carbon um, annually. And so that's really significant. Um, of course, you know, there are a lot of different things that would make doing that challenging. But, um, you know, in my opinion, having spent a fair amount of time digging into a lot of the hard tech that's being utilized as a solution to climate change, I think we really need everything, right? Um, we need stuff that buys us time, and we also need, need technology that's super permanent over a thousand years. Um, what's nice about what we're doing is it's really a combination of a lot of these engineered solutions um, and the traditional reforestation, right? We're kind of in this different category as a carbon credit supplier. And, and what do you think about some of the other mechanisms like we've been reading about, uh, what sounds like kind of, I mean, in some ways the opposite of what you got doing, which are these giant plants that, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars to build that, that can suck CO2 into the atmosphere. Do you think those can work? And, and like, if, if someone just, if I gave you a magic wand and said, okay, Maddie, you know, I'm going to give you all the authority to solve climate change. What do you do? How would it look? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be one silver bullet. Like I said, I think we have to have multiple different solutions um, that people are pursuing right now. I think it's too early to pick a winner, right? However, I will say that um, one really amazing thing about biology is that it's self-replicating. It doesn't require an intensely human-managed process to scale. And my concern is around a lot of these um, more mechanical solutions is this is a problem of planetary metabolism, 
right? This is a carbon flux problem. Um, and my personal opinion is that we, as a species, get out of it if we are able to utilize our plant life in more efficient ways. Um, I think building more very intensely managed uh, human human processes, that's a fair amount of how we kind of got into this situation. That being said, I think there's something to, there's, there's a lot of value in permanently sequestering carbon for thousands of years that is very different from just reforestation. So I think we need everything. I would love to see there be a federal price on carbon um, and for people to be accepting of the fact that like, this is a global emergency and we have a lot of small companies that are working on solutions, but they have to scale. And for them to scale, we have to give permission and put funding, both government and corporate funding, um, towards the growth and development of these of these projects and these companies. It's I, I view it similar to COVID, right? Like COVID is climate change. It's increased urbanization. It's animals that are not necessarily living in their natural habitats. It's people within very close proximity. Um, and, it, you know, I think that the same way that we have fast tracks for vaccines and we have this whole mobilization for, for um, the response to the pandemic, regardless of what you think about it, right? Um, we need something similar for climate, if, if not something bigger, um, because, it's the root of so much. And, and do you think that the solution kind of has to come on, I, don't know, I guess maybe on, it's not really, the, we're, I guess I'm not saying it's right, the demand side, right? Expecting people in China and India and the rest of the world to not have a car or air conditioning or the things that the rest of the Western world already enjoys, to me, seems unrealistic, which means while, you know, conservation is obviously a critical piece of it, um, what you're doing in terms of using technology to, to really try to take CO2 in the atmosphere seems more achievable to me from a human nature and political standpoint. Um, how do you see it? I, I mean, a hundred percent, right? Like I think there's this tension right now between land used for food to feed the growing population, which is necessary and forest land, right? So yeah. our approach has really been a first principles. Um, what if instead of planting 1 trillion trees, you only had to plant 500 billion? That's a big difference. Um, when when it comes to your question about like, you know, waving the magic wand and also like the role of negative emissions, right? I think that it is so critical that we figure out new ways right now to remove CO two from our atmosphere. Um, you know, there's a high likelihood that we hit uh, our our carbon budget in the next ten years. And so, you know, even if you have 100% adoption of renewables, we're still going to have to figure out ways to do this. And, you know, if we can't, if we cannot solve issues within our own ecosystem right now, my faith in humanity's ability to create new ecosystems on new planets is very low. Like, I don't really believe. I, I, I agree. I, yeah. I, I don't see how that's like a really smart use of resources, you know, to, for climate change. Yeah, I just I don't believe in a future state where you have like a thriving Mars base and we haven't solved climate change. I don't think that's actually a valid state um, for like the future of the world, you know, yeah, or, or realistic. Right. The amount of money it would take uh, to colonize Mars with that, I imagine we could probably do everything you're talking about 10 times over. So, 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was I was talking just yesterday, the amount of money that that we spent on, um, you know, developing some of these the fighter pilots or not, excuse me, the the fighter planes in the United States. I'm not a DOD educated person, but if that money had gone towards climate change, um, it would have been a, a very different scenario. Um, what do you think about the money that's currently in the big federal spending bill? Uh, earmarked towards climate change. You, is, is that a, effective in your view? Is it just a drop in the bucket? How, how do you see it? I mean, I think it's a drop in the bucket. And I will say that like the mobilization that we've seen with this new administration around doing something for climate, um, it's definitely coming from the top down. And we've seen, you know, we've talked to DOE and we we were lucky enough to receive a grant from ARPA-E as well. Um, and so, you know, there's progress, but you know, I, there, there, of course, needs to be more. And to be clear, coming back to the to the comment about Mars and space exploration, I think climate is so important because we are at this sort of one of our company values is um, like get get to launch, right? Like get to the launch window with the understanding that both in our ability to become an interplanetary species and to do large scale negative emissions now's the window of time that we have to do it, right? Because otherwise it will be too late. And if you think about what the future could look like, whatever sort of version of society that would exist in a world where runaway global warming happens, and um, you know, I, I think humans will still exist, but we won't have the millions of years of stored carbon. We won't have all of these natural resources. And so whatever sort of advancement we would try to make it would look incredibly different um, than, than what it's taken us right now to get to this path. So we're really in this critical window, um, I think, to, to not only solve climate change, um, but also to really take our, take our society to a different level of, of life. Uh, let's talk a little more about the company itself. How did you guys make money? <laughs> Great question. So, you know, for, for us, um, we value the the capturing of a ton of carbon. So we actually don't, we haven't been selling our trees. Um, we will give them to landowners for free who will plant them. Um, and we retain the rights to the carbon credits, which we then sell to large corporate purchasers. Um, so we actually cover the cost of planting. Um, and we specifically work with rural landowners in the United States. Um, you know, folks that have degraded, marginalized land, a lot of private landowners. Um, and then for us, um, we're, we're actually able to lease their land and then still own our, our product and, and sell our carbon credits. And that model works really well. Um, I think in the, in the longer term future, we're, we're interested in developing many other different types of plants that can be distributed in supply chains of large companies that are trying to hit their net zero targets. I don't think carbon credits is enough, right? You have to decarbonize yeah. your supply chain as well. And, and where are you guys in terms of life stage funding, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so, um, you know, we're a team of 22 right now. Um, we've raised a significant amount of capital that's gonna be announced at a later date. Congratulations. Um, yep. Thank you. And I think our hope is really to, to get to a place where we can, I think a lot of, a lot of climate companies and climate tech companies, they're all relatively early, right? And people say, okay, you need to have a million in ARR to raise a Series A. Or that's what people used to say. 
<laughs> so now I think you need an idea. That's about it. Uh, yeah. Now, now you need an idea. Um, and I forget who told me this, but someone once told me that, uh, you know, if you're working within a hard tech space, you'll have the opportunity and people will be willing to evaluate you um, outside of the typical bucket that you would evaluate like a SaaS startup, of course, right? But if you can hit the milestones that you would expect of a software company, right? Like having over a million dollars in revenue when you raise your series A and you're doing something that is very hard, um, it it's very attractive to investors and to people, right? Um, and so that's kind of how I've how I've thought about Living Carbon. There's a reason why we've stayed in in stealth and not publicly launched for two years, um, is because we wanted to prove our R and D. Uh, and you know, I think the last thing you want to do is be going off of hype. Um, that was incredibly important to me when when starting this company. And so, you know, we spent the time that we would have been spending doing PR, uh, you know, talking to high school climate clubs um, and a lot of the students that will really have to deal with the consequences of um, this generation's actions or lack of action. And what do you need, like from, a, you mentioned the regulatory before, what do you need government to do or not do to have, to help you make this work? Yes, I mean, I think like biotechnology has come a long way. Um, from Living Carbon's perspective, we were very fortunate where the method that um, we're using, we talked to the USDA really uh, very early on um, in our product development. And we actually have confirmation that we're not regulated as um, a GMO. And that, um, that makes a big difference in terms of our timeline to market. Uh, what I would like to see the government do is basically create a different path for um, biotechnology and other sorts of engineered solutions that are specifically around um, increased carbon sequestration. Right now, a lot of these technologies are regulated like they're, um, you know, a pesticide resistant food, which is just so far from what people are actually developing. And so the regulatory environment doesn't really match the the use case for some of these things right when instead you're just trying to create more durable wood products so if i could wave a magic wand that would that would be generally um what i would like would be to see this other regulatory path for a lot of these advanced climate change related solutions um to at least be tested right so let me just pivoting a little bit i, I saw that you once commented that the two greatest existential threats to humanity or climate change, as we've been discussing for the last 20 minutes, and AI. Um, t tell me why you feel that way about AI. Um, well, I mean, I think the um, the catalytic effect of advanced AI systems being deployed at, at scale um, is very similar to climate change, right? Um, machine learning can will be able to hopefully solve a lot of a lot of world issues. Um, and I think that in both cases, um, there's a lack of narrative around how these technologies can be used for social good, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what the right way is to use these technologies for social good in a way that is equitable, equitable um, and in a way that, um, that broadly benefits humanity. That's a big part of, um, you know, OpenAI's mission. It's a big part of Living Carbon, too. So, you know, I think... A lot of people at the time that I started Living Carbon were working on AI. And there were very few climate change tech companies. 
um, now, <laughs> uh, that that has since uh, changed, and that is something that I am so excited about. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't really think of two problems that are uh, more intractable and more important to mobilize collective effort around. Yeah, nuclear proliferation will be other one on my list of sort of existential threats. Um, yes. But yes. probably not something a, a startup can do much about one way or the other. Yeah, you know, and I, I think I have to say that there are people that have, um, both on the research side and on the climate side, that have dedicated their careers to this space before it became hot and trendy in the startup world. And I think we would be remiss to, um, or, you know, it would, it would be, would be uh, very silly for us to not include those people or to, um, you know, think that startups are going to solve climate change, right? We need collaborative effort across a lot of different folks that are working in the space. Let's, let's talk about you a little bit. So where'd you grow up? How'd you get interested in climate? What'd you study? What are the jobs that you did kind of before creating Living Carbon? Yeah, um, so I grew up in Washington, in Seattle, Washington. Um, a lot of trees up there. Um, I, you know, I have an uncle who has a logging company and I have just a lot of plant, plant, um, appreciators in my family. Uh, and so, you know, I just grew up kind of learning the names of different flowers. And I remember actually seeing an inconvenient truth in 2006, um, and thinking, oh my gosh, I think it was 2006 and just being appalled that there wasn't more action around climate change. Um, and then seeing the second inconvenient truth that came out and being like, oh my gosh, nothing has changed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that passion didn't really get the opportunity to manifest for me professionally until a little bit later in my life. Um, I had always knew that I wanted to become a founder, uh, but I also thought that it would not be a good idea to start a company unless there was an idea that, you know, you were obsessed with and you couldn't sleep at night because you were thinking about it all the time. And, you know, if no one did this, you would just be unhappy with yourself, right? If you if you didn't do it. And so, you know, leading up to that, I was a product manager early in my career and then spent some time working on product and venture capital um, and then was working at, at, at OpenAI on special projects. And really from there, I got to learn from a lot of really amazing people um, just about not only how you how you start businesses, but also how you grow um, really ambitious projects. And um, I do think that there's something to be said for uh, the ease in recruiting and the ease in um, a fair amount of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect when you're actually working on like a, a very hard science startup. Because um, it, it sparks intrigue and, and people feel like, um, a sense of purpose when they come and work on it with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so last question for the people who listen to this podcast, I'm thinking, okay, maybe, you know, I'm not Maddie. I can't start a company that sort of modifies trees to take you know CO2 out of the atmosphere, but I want to do something positive. I'm sure you get asked that question all the time. Well, what do you tell people? I think like if it's not starting a company, it's go work at one, right? Um, learn about the impact that technology can have on climate change and also about your own actions, right? Um, and how uh, you as an individual might be emitting a lot more CO2 than you think. But I mean, I think to actually make a difference, right? One of the biggest issues that, that I see is people feel really helpless. They look at the news, they see all these weather disasters, extreme warms, and they're like, what can I do? Like, 
you know, I can plant a tree maybe, but like, what does that really look like? What does that mean? I can donate. Um, but I mean, really the thing that we all have, um, Bradley, is, is, tusk, is time, excuse me, it's time. It's not your last name. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, that's that's what we have. And I think a lot of these climate companies, both from a founder perspective and an investor perspective, we need people to help um, our teams grow. And those don't have to be people that have experience in climate, right? I didn't have any experience in climate before, um, before starting Living Carbon. Passion for it. But we need the best operations managers, the best recruiters, the best engineers, software engineers. Um, and I think that that's really the biggest thing that people can do um, and demanding corporate action and government action. Um, the power of your dollar, uh, of course, has an impact as well. Those are those are the things that come to mind. So that all makes sense. Cool. Well, uh, I know you guys are still in stealth mode, but, but if, if someone says, hey, I'm a really talented whatever that you just listed, uh, how do people find you or at least the company? No, I mean, you know, my send me an email. Um, I think. I, one thing that I, I get a lot of energy from doing is if there are people that are, uh, you know, wanting to start a climate change company or uh, wanting to get into climate, I like to allocate a little bit of time every week to having conversations with those people um, and, you know, giving them, giving them some direction if they need it or making some suggestions. Uh, yeah. And of course, it's just my first name at, at Living Carbon. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to share what we've been working on the past uh, one and a half years with with the rest of the, the public soon. That's great. Well, Maddie, thanks for joining us. Congratulations, really, really impressive stuff. Of course, thank you very much.